0: Hey there, listeners. Welcome back to Members of Society. Uh, Today we are moving on in our Death of the Kiowa series, and I'm very excited to introduce you to Dave Stark. Uh, I actually first met Dave when I got to the unit um, before I ever went down to Alpha Troop. Um, He is a maintenance test pilot, and so as part of the maintenance troop, I got a little bit more face time Um, with him just in different meetings and stuff talking about aircraft maintenance and saw him around the hangar a little bit more often I got to know him a little bit before I ever went down to Alpha Troop but obviously once I got down there I got to know him much better Um, above all else I have to say that Dave is passionate Uh, I think he'll appreciate that adjective uh, he and I actually, um, we butted heads a little bit more than I did with most of my warrant officers downrange, just because I think we were seeing problems from a different vantage point. Um, obviously, as a maintenance test pilot, there were you know decisions that he got to make about how we were doing maintenance or what our priority of work was on maintenance on which helicopter. and And sometimes personnel issues bled into maintenance issues of, you know, did we have the right maintainers in the right positions or did we have, um, did we get assigned a mission that was kind of unnecessary given our maintenance situation and could we punt that mission to someone else so we could take care of our maintenance better? Um, And so sometimes he and I just saw things differently or saw problems differently and we spent a lot of time together debating what the right answer was. And I don't mean we butted heads in any sort of disrespectful way. I think Dave respected me and I definitely respected him and he was very thoughtful and very thorough and very knowledgeable. And so I spent a lot of time with Dave trying to convince him of what the right answer was because I didn't I didn't just want to stand in front of him and say, this is the right answer and this is what we're doing. Um, I, I weirdly needed Dave's approval of what my course of action was and so, um, I'm very grateful that Dave put up with a lot of my thoughtless or thoughtful decision making depending on uh depending on the scenario. Like everyone we've heard from so far, Dave's route into the military is probably a little bit different than most people think. Um, I'll let him tell you this story about how he got into the army. So without further ado, Dave Stark. Uh
1: I joined the army the seventeenth of June two thousand four. I was twenty-one. So uh well when I was in high school, I was I was actually thinking about enlisting in the Navy. Um I I grew up in a in a beach city in Los Angeles <clears throat> and the Navy's somewhat prevalent there. So uh I was thinking about doing that and then uh I was was convinced otherwise or or, or, or uh really kind of listen to other people, um, and my parents especially. And, uh, I started college as an accounting major there and, uh, decided I didn't like accounting. So I stopped doing that, which was probably a poor idea. And I worked for a financial advisor in Orange County, California for a while and then realized I was not happy. I wasn't happy in Southern California. I wasn't happy, you know, kind of wearing a suit and tie every day at work. Um, I didn't really want to continue in that way, and I and I had always wanted to serve. Um, and so one day I walked into the army recruiter, and that was that. Yeah. Uh, so the only job I really ever wanted to have was was to be a pilot. Um, that was that was kind of it. And uh, again, I just didn't know how to get there. I didn't know what I wanted to do, or how to to, to get myself there. And then I was uh, after high school. I graduated high school in 2001. And then after high school, I was taking private pilot lessons. And then September 11th, and uh, that had to stop for a little while because airplanes weren't allowed to fly. And and after that, uh, jobs for pilots, you know, uh, were, were were scarce or non-existent. And so I figured I'd probably better move to something else. So, when I walked into the recruiter in probably, I think it was December of 2003, you know, the war in Iraq was still um, was still fairly new, right? And it was, wasn't even a year old yet. And we had been in Afghanistan for several years, and the army was trying to grow like crazy. So, they were, you know, throwing everything they could at anybody. I remember <clears throat> talking to my recruiter and... And seeing the hours that he had to work and how many people he had to put in the army, and I thought, holy cow, like, there's no way that that's a sustainable thing. Um, even then, and I had no idea what it meant, you know, the, on, on the army side of that. I just saw the civilian recruit side of it. Yeah, so they were, there were a whole lot of jobs open, especially once I took the ASVAB, then it was, uh, or, or not the ASVAB, but the, um, Maybe it is the asbab, I don't know. Um, and then you get all your scores and your different, you know, um, the different sections and whatever. And I scored pretty high, so I essentially could do what I wanted to do. And, and I chose that I wanted to be a helicopter mechanic.
0: So here's where Dave, like, totally razzed me because I thought that he was a Kiowa crew chief or had been a Juliet. So had done a Juliet as a 15 Juliet They are specialized in armament for the Kiowa, and I don't know why I thought that, but he got real sassy with me, so we had a good chuckle. But anyway, um, Dave goes on to explain that he worked in powertrain.
1: So I didn't, um, I didn't, I was not a Kiowa crew chief, or I wasn't a Kiowa mechanic. I was a powertrain mechanic, so... The Army trained me to work on all of the aircraft in the inventory, but specifically to the powertrain. So think of, in a helicopter, essentially everything that spins in a helicopter minus the, the engines. And it, it just so happened that I was, um, for a deployment in 2006, 2007 to Iraq, uh, I was assigned as a, uh, a powertrain mechanic for 117 Cav at of Fort Bragg. Um, so that's where I, I had... A lot of exposure because that's always all I was working on for that time. Yeah, so that was, that was interesting for me. So I was in an ASB or a, a support battalion uh, where they don't own aircraft. They just fix everybody else's aircraft. And so you work on parts and pieces of helicopters. You rebuild main rotor systems or you meet, rebuild, you know, different pieces, but it's not often that you're working on the actual aircraft. the components come into your shop, you repair them, and the components leave the shop so that was my the first time that I worked on helicopters every day all day um, kind of a thing uh it all It also was the first time that I was exposed to the idea that, hey, I need to do this quickly uh that I couldn't just. <laughs> I couldn't just keep this part in my shop for a week and make it, you know, shiny, brand new, paint it, spit shine it. It just needs to be fixed and leave. As a, I deployed as a specialist and I was promoted to sergeant while I was there in uh, in Iraq. And <clears throat> just being there and, and working with, going to the production control meetings, being, being with the Cav Squadron, really a part of the, ca- that Cav Squadron, um, And realizing that the pace that they worked at was not the pace that I was accustomed to working at. And my pace was going to have to change, not theirs.
0: So as Dave explains, when he started out in the Army, he started out in a pure maintenance area. So there are different units to the Army, as I'm sure everyone realizes. And I'm not going to lie, like the ASB, the Aviation Support Battalions, get a really bad rap. Like, people hate sending their maintenance to the ASB because it takes forever to get it back. As Dave explained, there's just not as big of a rush. Um, They're a little bit further away from the action or the sense of urgency of why this is important and why it needs to get done kind of now. And so I thought it was really interesting um, that he got to deploy as an attachment to a Kiowa unit, um, that he got pulled from the ASB and sent downrange to Iraq as one of the guys working the line of Kiowas and that's all he did day in and day out and I thought that was super interesting because it had to have just been like a huge paradigm shift for him going from a little bit more of a relaxed environment to the calf um, just would have been so wild and so we got to we got to talk about that a little bit
1: you know, truthfully, I thought when I, when I became a part of 117 or, or, or um, an attachment to that unit, that's kind of what I pictured the army to be. Um, very high esprit de corps, very high morale. Um, the, the level of competency was, was also very high and it, it just was a, um, and and even in my mind now, it, w- it was a uh, an awesome place. It was a special place for me to be and to learn. There were high quality NCOs there uh, for the most part, who did a lot of teaching, and I, I you know I still appreciate that. Who did I learn from the most? Probably, um, <clears throat> well, he was a staff sergeant at the time, and the last time I talked to him, he was a first sergeant. So um, and he's got to be retired by now. His name is Brian Bennett. Um, Brian, uh, Brian was a Kiowa crew chief and that was probably his, I think his third deployment. Uh, so go back in time to, you know, 2006, if you had deployed three times, you had deployed, you know, every other year, at least if not, if not less than, I think that deployment he had spent, I I think five or six months at home in between deployments. So, uh, so anyway, uh, I learned, I learned a lot from him. And, and, as far as just kind of the, the, the mindset, again, getting out of an ASB mindset, getting into a cavalry or, or to a, a, a line unit where operational readiness of aircraft matters, how quickly you can, you know, turn maintenance matters.
0: Most of the other guys that I've interviewed um, weren't maintainers. They were infantrymen or direct action guys um, or aviators during the invasion of Iraq. And so I wanted to know from Dave's perspective, as someone who kind of stuck close to the the fobs and, and where units were stationed, what Iraq was like for him in those early days.
1: You know, the thing I least expected was the just the the amount of downtime that we had, um, and 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 I don't say that to say like we didn't have anything to do because I was very busy, but you know when you watch you watch a war movie, you expect you know like you you watch something about about the military you expect your experience to kind of be somewhat similar right now granted none of those n- none of those movies are made about helicopter mechanics and i understand that now but back then my mus you know my thinking was a little different so uh what i did not expect was just all the downtime and and then trying to uh trying to deal with it you know um I, I, now i tell people if they made, like, a real true-to-life war movie, it would be, like, 8 hours long, 10 hours long, and it would have, like, 20 minutes worth of interesting stuff in it. Um, and everything else would be just mundane, kind of day-to-day, and, you know, the goings-on. The other thing, that, and I try to remember this now as a, as a maintenance test pilot, having been deployed a couple of times as a, as a test pilot, um, and dealing with my crew chiefs is realizing that I get to leave as a helicopter pilot. I get to leave the base and go see the sights, And I understand what's going on around us, whereas they don't. And that was something for me. I lived in a whole year of my life in northern Iraq, having never really seen anything but the inside of that, that little forward operating base. You know, like my whole life existed within a mile circle.
0: So Dave did his deployment to Iraq and then obviously at some point decided to become an aviator instead of a mechanic. Um, and so I asked him a little bit about his decision making with regards to moving out of the enlisted ranks and becoming a warrant officer.
1: No. So I, I enlisted in the Army knowing about the warrant officer program uh, and wanting to um wanting to fly. That was my goal. I had, I had decided that I was not going to stay in the army as an enlisted mechanic. And that if I was not picked up to go, um, to be a warrant officer, uh, and an aviator, I was, I was not going to stay past my six year enlistment. So, uh, I'd made that decision. And in fact, I had begun the packet as a, as a private first class. And then was kind of, was gung-ho about it and was getting it done. And then I got a call from um, who was my squad leader at the time, who's now a uh, Chinook maintenance test pilot um, by the name of uh, Nick Tabler. Um, And Nick told me, hey, uh, I was coming off of leave. I actually was driving back. I was stationed at Fort Bragg and was driving back from Raleigh Airport, uh, back to Fort Bragg. And uh, he called me and said, hey, um, you are – you've been chosen that you're going to be one of the soldiers that's going to be attached to 117 for this deployment coming up in, I think that was that was like January, and we left for that deployment in July. So, uh, you, know, you know, six, seven months from now, you're going to be deployed. And uh, I had a kind of a decision to make whether I wanted to continue on with this packet, but I thought at the time it was more important for me to you know be deployed i I was running around with no combat sleeve on my right shoulder and at Fort Bragg in two thousand six that was a you were a unicorn if you did not have uh you know two double a's on 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 your sleeves so in in the scheme of things, I was not enlisted very long. I got to do some some great things, and one of those is that year long deployment in in iraq uh and it did give me it gave me a different perspective cuz that was the first time that I was really in charge of something in the army so uh i went there in we there was only two powertrain mechanics from from the ASB that went with 117 me being one of them so i was signed for all of the equipment that we brought i was signed for the shop set i was signed for everything and then um i had i had uh My soldier, who was assigned to me, which we laughed about it because he actually, to this day, is a very good friend of mine. Um, And he and I went through basic training. I literally met him the day I joined the Army. Uh, We went through basic together, AIT together, jump school together. Then we went to Fort Bragg, and we uh, we were roommates. And it just so happened that Sean and I were chosen. And then just because of my date of rank, I outranked him and so was put in charge. Um, so, but anyway, it, it taught me a lot of things and I was, I was appreciative of that. And it was also something that I could put on my, my resume for flight school that I, Hey, I had actually done something in the army. Uh, so yeah, I came home from that deployment in July of 07. Um, and I proposed to my wife two weeks later and, uh, then In January of 2008, two weeks before my my wedding, I I was selected. So January 2008, I was selected, and then I began Warrant Officer Candidate School in May of 2008.
0: I asked Dave when he was selected to go to flight school if he knew what he wanted to fly, Um, and this was his response.
1: I, I wanted to be a scout pilot. I I wanted to fly the OH-58D Kiowa.
0: Well, Dave knew what he wanted to fly when he went to flight school. Um, I did not know what I wanted to fly, and we'll hear some more from some folks who also weren't so sure, Um, but thanks again for joining us. Um, Welcome, Dave, to our pool of characters as we continue on in our story of the death of the Kiowa. And as always, if you have enjoyed what you've heard today or you want to hear more of it or you have anything to share, um, please go ahead and rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast and you will stay up to date on all that is to come. All right. Catch you on the flip side.